1: Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app. We're on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We're also on Dash Radio on their Nothing But Net channel. That's every single weeknight at 7 p.m. Also, check out Five Reasons YouTube, before floor, an hour before every game. Post up 5R as soon as the game ends and plenty of other content as well. And 5ReasonsSports.com, make sure you spell that one out. That's where you don't get a paywall and you get the latest Heat, dolphins, and other Miami sports content content. Also, check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, including our friends over an intense nutrition. You need to lose weight, they can help you do it. They can help you lose 10 to 15 pounds in just 10 days with the intense cleanse and detox. They've got specific stacks for you, whether you're an aging man, a budding athlete, or you just want to fight cold and flu season. And they can help you with your pre and post-workout regimens, okay? Everything in the store and Intense Nutrition, other than the protein, 20% off if you mention five reasons. That's 20% off if you mention five reasons for anything in the store, superior quality, superior service. Check them out on Facebook and on Instagram with the handle Intense Nutrition, pretty simple, or just give them a call 954-775-0257 that's 954-775-0257 they're in coral springs over on university drive again one more time 954-775-0257 intense nutrition and now today's episode Down to Yay. Yes. Uh, five on the
2: floor ride right for my dog yes. where is the score Hustle hard, couple scars, ran, bubble frogs. Just like Buck said you in trouble y'all. Che the throw playing. got it all band. y'all seen the block. Stop the one hand. And Pat trust's about have the guts. we here to bring the heat. y'all can hang it up.
1: Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily insider show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnet, Greg Sylvander, and Alex Toledo, plus others from the Five Reason Sports Network. Welcome back to five on the floor on the five reasons sports network. Here's today's floor plan. I got Greg Sylvander. You can follow him at Greg Sylvander. I've got Alex Toledo. You can follow him at tropical blanket. And I have someone who I've known for a long time. He's been a longtime NBA writer. He's now written a book called blood in the garden, which is about the Knicks in the 1990s. And it was a book that I had particular interest in because I was going to grad school at Columbia in 1995. So I was around, those teams in New York. Um, I don't readily admit admit this, but most of my family are Knicks fans. And I actually had, I will go to it, Greg. I had a John Starks Jersey. It's the only Jersey that I've ever owned. So I've acknowledged all this stuff before we start. And of course, those are the Pat Riley years in New York. And Chris has written this great book, which I'm waiting to get my hands on my brother's already started it. So he's already halfway through it. Uh, Chris, appreciate you joining us today.
0: Could not be more appreciative of you guys having me on.
1: Thank you. let's get to it and and you know there was an excerpt that's already been published in the new york times so uh credit to you for that uh and it covers pat Riley's decision to leave the new york knicks and and i think i'm framing it that way because in reading the excerpt it seems like something that he kind of set up like like you sort of put it in the way you introduced the excerpt uh you know kind of the behind the scenes machinations to leave the knicks can you go through that process for people, because obviously, if that doesn't happen, the last quarter century of elite basketball in Miami, Miami changing from a football town to a basketball town, six finals appearances, three championships, and now another contending team do not happen. So, tell us a little bit about the backstory there.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving me the, the platform to do it. He, um, I mean, he'd been wildly successful in New York. The only thing he was missing was the championship. Ring You know, he won four of them with the Lakers and he had the Knicks on the cusp of doing it the year before all this happened with Miami um, when he got the Knicks to the finals. So, you know, stuff was starting to break down. He had a five year deal with the Knicks. He was going into year four. The Knicks obviously want to sign him to an extension. And at that point, Pat, you know, whether you believe this or not, um, he claims to the Knicks that he wants essentially a piece of ownership there. Um, I imagine part of it because one, if anybody's worth it at that point, I guess maybe Phil Jackson is starting to enter that conversation, but Pat Riley, even by then had won more championships than Phil Jackson had uh, when you look at his Lakers tenure. So there's that part of it, but also the Knicks have had three different ownership structures in three years that Pat Riley has been there. And so he's saying, you know, each time this happens, I don't really know what I'm stepping into. And the Knicks kind of wrote that off as like, uh, you're being paranoid for no reason. Maybe fair, but at the same time, look at the ownership the Knicks stepped into shortly after Pat left. So maybe it wasn't really unfair from that standpoint. But anyway, the Knicks essentially said, suggested that they weren't willing to entertain that. They really couldn't in the way that a team like Miami was going to be able to with Mickey Harrison because the Knicks were corporately owned. They can't just give away 10% of their team. Um, because you've got a lot of shareholders that you're beholden to. So anyway, um, you know, he's the highest paid coach in the league already. They were willing to double his salary to make it $3 million instead of one point five. They were willing to give him the team president role of basketball operations. Um, but the team is struggling. They have a lot of infighting going on that season. Um, and during New Year's Eve, when, you know, they had gone into Christmas, they were 12 and 12 at the Christmas break. Uh, and the NBA that season was a pretty bad record by the Knicks standard by that point. Pat goes to uh, Aspen, Colorado, and he meets up with a friend who has people over named Dick Butera, who is a wealthy real estate developer who's still there in that area. And um, he says, you know, I'm I'm having a rough time with the Knicks. Like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And at the same time, he says that Dick Butera kind of announces at this get-together. It's funny you would say that because me and my friends are thinking about buying the Miami Heat who were up for sale. And of course, Pat has interest in that. And he says, if you, if you're able to do that, you could probably have me as a coach. I think I'm ready to make the move at this point, even though keep in mind, he's under contract for another year after this with the Knicks. So he's hoping that his friend will get the team. His friend ends up not getting the team. Um, You know, the end of January Mickey Arison wins the bidding war basically to get it, but the conversation doesn't end there. Um, Mickey Harrison gets the team. And then Dick Butera, for some reason, contacts Mickey Arison. There are phone records that show that. He claims that they were not talking about Pat Riley uh, during that time. But, okay, whatever you want to believe, come February, right after the All-Star break, the Knicks have a game in Miami. And seemingly, you know, if you put two and two together, it wouldn't be it would be that crazy of a thought that Dick Butera had basically told Mickey Harrison, why don't you try to meet Pat? When he comes down there with his team. So Mickey Harrison goes to a shoot around that the Knicks have um, or wants to go to a shoot around. He asked the Knicks PR person, can can I watch the Knicks practice? Can you ask Pat if I can watch practice? Pat, you guys know Pat. Pat says no, very much in or out sort of person. He doesn't even let his own scouts from the Knicks watch practice without prior permission. So of course, he's not going to let the opposing owner watch, you know, a shoot around on the road, no less. So anyway, he says no. Mickey Harrison waits in the tunnel of Miami arena. So when the Knicks come out and are going to the bus, he pulls aside Pat and says, can we talk for just a minute? And Pat thinks about it, but eventually he gives in and says, yes, which is kind of stunning given what we know about Pat Riley, especially if you read the book about how this is a guy that was going to find his players. If he, if they knock someone down from the other team and then helped to pick them back up, Um, he was very much in or out. So that goes completely against his MO anyway. Fast forward to the way that season ends for the Knicks, which a lot of people remember in New York, Patrick Ewing has a, a just a brutal finger roll that just kind of bounces off the back rim in a game seven. They lose to the, uh, the Pacers in seven. As Pat Riley walks off the court, Marv Albert makes a point to kind of mention that Pat Riley's walking off and it it's going to create all these questions about whether Pat Riley wants to come back, whether he's going to resign to stay with the Knicks, whether he's going to go somewhere else. And if you watch that segment, that sequence on YouTube, you go back and watch it now, Pat Riley turns around as he's walking in the tunnel and he turns and takes like one long last look at Madison Square Garden the floor. And, and you get the impression right then and there that he's made a decision that he's done. So even if you don't believe that, then Dick Buter gets a call from Pat less than an hour after the game ends and Pat calls him and he says to Dick, I'm done. I'm done here in New York. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm finished. I can't stand it. And Dick Butera can hear all this noise in the background. He's like, where are you? Where are you calling from? And obviously, you know, he knows that the game just ended. So, you know, not only is he calling right after game, within the first hour after the game, he uh, can hear all this noise in the background. He said, I'm calling you from the, the team bus. And it's like, you're on the team bus and you're, you're within earshot of people and you're telling me this. So it tells you a little bit about the mindset of just how done Pat actually was. And he basically told Dick Butera, if you've still got that buddy in Miami, set this thing up because I'm out of here. And so that, you know, that is something that I'm not sure how out there that was. I don't think it's really been out there to that extent, but he was ready. And and they, you know, they basically started working on a deal right from that point. Dick Butera was negotiating with Mickey Harrison, um, asked for some pretty steep demands. Obviously, ownership was a big part of it. But to my knowledge, Pat is still the only Um Person and management coach, I guess is probably the more correct way to put it, who's had an ownership stake in a team and not just an ownership stake, but a substantial one. And, um, you know, I think that probably better explains how he went about leaving. It was not done by the book, certainly, because he was still under contract when those conversations started. But um, <laughs> it's been pretty good trade off if you're the Miami Heat. I don't think there's any question about that.
1: I want to let Greg jump in here, but I, I do have one quick question for you because I just wanted, sure. I should have asked this at the top. Did, did Pat speak to you for the book?
0: He did not speak to me for the book. I gave him, well, I went to his hometown for three or four days where he grew up, disconnected Uh in New York, Uh spent a lot of time with childhood folks, went to different parts of the country, spent time with other folks that have been friends with him through adulthood. Um, But I I did request to talk to him. And then even when he said no, um, and when the Heat organization said no, I did send him a list of questions and kind of give him a blow by blow of what would be in the book. Uh, and give him an opportunity to respond to that. He chose not to do that.
1: Did anyone from the Heat?
0: Uh, No, no. and uh, Same thing with that, though, with Mickey Harrison and stuff like that, where I did put along questions at least, but uh, were declined. Some people, but not people that would have had anything to do with the decision like that. Folks that were, you know, players, former players. I think John Crotty, I think he does stuff with the radio, but nobody that would have had a factor in a decision like that.
2: So, Chris, for in full disclosure i could listen to you talk about this pat riley stuff like we could go on for hours and hours this stuff fascinates me that is stuff that um as somebody who has followed riley's career particularly as he got to miami i had never heard any of that stuff before it's super fascinating to me and um and i kind of really the my experience with pat riley particularly has been in miami right so it's like it's interesting From this perspective, and and I'm going to switch right to those Heat Knicks series because I haven't had the opportunity full, you know, again, in honesty to read your book yet. I have seen the excerpts that have been out and I can't wait to read it. It's absolutely appointment reading uh, for me, but the Knicks kind of regrouped when Riley left and then there was this rivalry that that, and I remember Riley's first game back in Madison Square Garden and (laughs) all of those series. I mean, I was like the kid who in one of those heat specials uh, they caught video of me holding up a sign that said, this means war at one of the heat Knicks playoff (laughs) games, which in retrospect is ridiculous. But so like, that's, I was so entrenched in that era and I'm interested to pick your brain on what you found out about how that Knicks team felt about those Riley Miami heat teams and just like dissecting that entire era of heat basketball.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it was funny. I talked to Jackie McMullen for the book. I just thought it would be good to get the perspective of folks that were national reporters at the time and local ones for that matter. But um, I thought Jackie would be fascinating just because, I mean, she's a hall of fame writer who covered one of the most fiery, fiery rivalries in the league, in league history with the Celtics and the Lakers. And I kind of asked her like, what did, what do you think of the Knicks heat rivalry? Like, obviously it's not Celtics Lakers, but what, I'm just curious, what did you think of it during the nineties? She's like, you know, that one didn't even like register for me when I think about the, the big rivalries throughout the league's history. And it's interesting because it, it wasn't consequential on the from the standpoint of titles. But I don't know that you had teams that hated each other more than those two did in the late 90s, let alone just the nature of the series that for four straight years, they went the distance all four of those years. And every one of those series was really tight. And a couple of them were kind of the outcome might have shifted because of suspensions, the first two. So um, you don't have many that you can compare and look at that, let alone, you know, the the, the backstory of it with Riley and the Van Gundys on either sideline and um, the fact that the teams were built similarly. The fact that the Knicks, almost out of spite, <laughs> tried to trade for Alonzo Mourning uh, so that Miami wouldn't get him, And, you know, and the Knicks basically owning the fact that they were trying to do it out of spite so that Pat wouldn't get them. Uh, they, they would have paired Patrick and uh, Alonzo morning together. So, it, I mean, this was a, a real hatred that these teams had. Um, and to your point about that game in 95, Riley's first game back in New York um, they went around and were asking Michael K that, you know, the radio host in, uh, in New York was uh I guess, a, kind of a sideline reporter at the time. And so they had him doing feature reporting around the arena, I think one game before Riley's return, just getting, taking the pulse of the fans in the crowd. Like, what did they think of Riley? And was Riley a hero? Was Riley a villain? And he stuck a microphone in front of like a six year old kid's face. He's like, I think Pat should go to jail. Um, you know, it was just, it was a wild, time it sounds like you would have just been on the other side of that but it sounded like you were just as passionate so exactly. it was a wild time there there are a lot of details I had on that rivalry um including one I mean Knicks fans are still frustrated angry convinced that you know the fix was in in 97 when uh the, the Knicks had a 3-1 lead P.J. Brown essentially flips over Charlie Ward who kind of gone into his legs during a box out and um
2: not kind of
0: he, I mean, he did. I mean, there's no question whether it was intentional, whether it was, but either way, I mean, it, it happened that way. I, I think we could also say that PJ Brown's reaction was maybe a little bit intense given that there's a, what, a nine inch height difference. But what I thought was interesting, I wanted to try to get one layer deeper than just what we know about all these things, at least for every key story in the, in, you know, in the Knicks history and um, Isaac Austin, who, who I think was maybe sixth man of the year one year, um, with the heat and, you know, as a key reserve for those teams, he told me, and it's always interesting because people have always kind of hinted and suggested that maybe Riley had said something to the players to really get them on edge because they were down 3-1 in the series, because they needed to do something to shift the tide in the series, they're being outplayed in the series, and no one's ever said, like, exactly what it is or if, if there even was anything that he actually said. And Ike Austin basically said, no, 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 there was something said. That day in shoot-around, I was there when it happened, and Riley kept using the word fight. He was like, you guys are just lying down.
2: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: You got to get up and you got to fight and blah, 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 blah. blah and you got to fight. And he kept using the phrasing. And as he said it, Ike remembered looking at PJ Brown. And he, he said, PJ said something to the effect of like, I swear if a motherfucker touches me or something like that. And so it's easy enough to see how one influences the other and it's also easy enough to think that like pat's messaging was real and the knicks operated the same way where pat would show them videos before certain games he would call them soft one game and then the next day, game going into it wouldn't even speak to them in pregame meetings in the locker room would show them videos of rams headbutting each other and violent car crashes it's messaging and pat has been a master of messaging So it's easy enough to see how that actually could have influenced what happened with PJ Brown and Charlie Ward, which by the way, the other detail in the book, PJ Brown and Charlie Ward were in chapel together before that game. I mean, they were also like among the most religious players in the league and, you know, like brothers in Christ. So they're friends now. I think Mm -hmm. they were kind of friends before that they were together like a couple hours before all that happened. And so it was, pj was worked up you know maybe it came from somewhere i suggested that it did come from somewhere it came from pat so that's in the book as well
1: yeah pj was um in my 25 years of covering the heat the nicest player that i ever covered i mean that was the craziest part of all of that uh the very fact that pj would even curse is sort of beyond the pale because it's just not not even the pj that i knew but but those series like you mentioned i mean there were like 12 Rivalries within the rivalry. There was the acquisition of Spreewell, who Hardaway didn't like. There was L.J. and Z.O., uh, which you know there was a history there going back to Charlotte. There was uh, all of these these different things, and you mentioned obviously uh, the Van Gundy's, and then you know, and then there's all the other moments, whether it's the Allen Houston shot, which I think for Heat fans may still be the most painful memory those who, who have sure. actually been with the team since the beginning or jamal mashburn being defined his entire heat career being defined by one shot that he didn't take uh or even the nick bevetta stuff from uh from tim hardaway which was sort of my fault and mike wise's fault for putting that in his head before that game, where 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 tim came out afterwards with his nick bevetta rant uh I, I don't know uh chris that we'll ever see a rivalry like that again and it, it is it does show a little bit because I have a great respect for Jackie, but sort of the myopic nature of the national media—that uh, if it's not Celtics or Lakers, they, they really don't care a lot of the time. And and that Knicks Heat thing, like you said, nobody won a championship, but we've never had a series—a a series of series where all of them ended on the last game, and there were all those rivalries. I, I want to pivot to one other thing uh, with you here because history repeats itself with Pat, and and I think you know I know you went to Schenectady. And everybody has said he's more Schenectady Pat than Showtime Pat, right? Like what happened with the Lakers was one thing, but the Knicks and the Heat stuff is a little bit more paired together into what his personality really is. Um, And and what I'm anxious to read about in the book, because it plays into what's going on with the Heat now, is the way that he found certain guys and empowered certain guys. I mean, Mason and Starks in particular – being two players that nobody wanted. I mean, <laughs> Starks was bagging groceries. Everybody would given, nobody knew what kind of position Anthony Mason would play. If he was even a basketball player or a boxer, uh, do you see that similarity now? And what, I mean, the are winning with undrafted players all over the roster with Jimmy Butler as their lead guy right now, who has a personality, it would seem that he would fit on those nineties Knicks. Do you see sort of history repeating itself with some of that stuff? Oh, oh,
0: for sure. I mean, the, the, the heat culture thing is real. I mean, people joke about it. People laugh about it. It's, you, you read enough details from this book and, and you guys have been around the heat long enough. You know that, um, you know, sometimes I think maybe some things are embellished, by the way, as, as we talked about embellishments, I, I don't remember whether PJ swore. I, I'm almost positive when I quote him in the book, he didn't. So you're probably right about that. I don't want to put those words in his mouth, particularly for how religious he is. Um, But no, I mean, Pat was, again, with the messaging, with everything else, with the conditioning that still seems like that holds up for them. The Knicks were the same way. It was actually kind of funny because as I was talking to Ike and other people from the organization from those years, so much of the stuff was the same. You know, Pat taking the Knicks on a trip to Reno for 36 hours to gamble. I'm almost positive the Heat did that at some point. The idea of Pat taking his players to a movie as a surprise for a day. I'm almost positive. Pat did that with the heat. So it was the same sort of thing. He literally just kind of took it and transplanted it to Miami. Um, And the idea that he takes some underdogs and then he takes some guys that maybe don't have, you know, that are a little bit rough around the edges. That's kind of what he does because Pat really was a guy that his first practice in the pros, his coach looked at him and said, like, you're, essentially you're the worst looking player I've ever had. Like, no, (laughs) I've never had a, a, a pick a draft pick looked like this. And you know, why, why, why are you, why are you looking like this? And Pat's like, well, I've never played guard before. And he's like, well, you better learn how to do it. Basically he was undersized to be in the NBA. He was not athletic enough to be in the NBA. He'd always been the most athletic guy and one of the biggest guys on his team. You know, he got drafted into the NFL. He just didn't play there. Um, but when he got to the NBA, he just had to really rough it to kind of make it and just beat up on Jerry West to keep Ernest keep. Um, so I think he's always had an affinity for guys like that and having guys like that on his roster, because he really wasn't like an NBA blue chipper himself. Um, and so I think he kind of thrived on having a bunch of guys that weren't because he knew how to work with them and knew how to get the best out of them.
1: All right. We're going to get to some current NBA stuff. And I know Chris, you're a little short on time, so we don't want to keep you too much longer, but, but I, ha- I have one more kind of question uh, on, on the heat, Nick stuff, because we have seen now, I mean, there was that period of time with Jeff Van Gundy where they had some success. They even got to a finals in 99, uh, albeit as an eight seed in the lockout season. And then they beat the Heat on the way there. Uh, but then the Don Nelson era, and then it's it's just been a bleep show since, right? Is there a regret, do you think? I know the player, Chequets isn't there anymore. You know, T- Dolan took over and all the rest of this. But is there regret in New York, do you think? I mean, did you come across this? Uh, that, that they didn't just give Pat what he wanted at the time that they didn't just give him the ownership stake, because we have seen one organization become one of the three or four class organizations of the entire NBA. And the other one, like I said, has been a complete bleep show where everybody's excited if they're 500.
0: I mean, if you talk to fans, there's no question. I think it's, it's overwhelmingly um, that they should have given in. I I think you, you get that from a big portion of the fan base. The other portion is like, screw that dude. He left us. Uh, but I think, you know, if, if you take that part out of it, I think they would have preferred to have had him. Now, I will say this, and this is something that I would not thought about a whole lot. Um, I don't know how much longer Pat could have lasted in New York as the coach. Um, you know, I think we talked so much about the success he had. I do think to some extent he was miserable. I do think the nature of the media is a lot different there than just about anywhere else. Um, and I do think that you know, what he did in Miami with going into management eventually, I think he would have needed to probably have done that sooner in New York just because he was between the messaging and the fact that they hadn't gotten to the promised land. um, I just don't think he would have lasted much longer. Like the, the two things I wonder are, could he, could he have lasted longer in New York as the coach if he didn't get ownership? which if he gets ownership, I think it's a little different. If he didn't, I don't know how much, maybe another year. I don't think he could have gone that much longer because he was just so hard charging with everything, passionate about everything. His foot was on the pedal for everything. If they'd won in 94, I think, you know, it it kind of extends everything because then the feelings aren't so raw. The team doesn't keep coming up short. Um, You know, everybody has a little bit more energy to keep going, but I think he was wearing thin on his players. I think, you know, the player empowerment stuff was something that he was starting to get more and more vocal about in a negative way and being more critical of. Um, and so I think the ownership stake made the the stakes a little bit sweeter for him. Uh, and I don't know that he could have really lasted. And he said that himself. I don't really know. I always pictured myself as being a guy that my, you know, my name would be in the rafters in New York. And you noticed that only Red Holzman's the only guy that has that. Um, and he won championships. And so if Pat hadn't gotten one soon, I don't think he could have lasted much longer in New York, but, yes, the fans definitely, you know, I think for the most part say, man, we should have done whatever it took to ke- to keep them just because he look at what happened with Miami and look what's happened with us ever since.
1: And not, if not for that two for 18 from John Starks, he, he probably would be in the rafters. All right. We're going to come right back here with Chris. We're just going to do some rapid fire on the NBA here on five on the floor. We'll be back with Chris Herring in a second. Before we do, want to tell you about our product code. It's five RSN. That's the number five RSN, and that's what you use if you're looking for grooming products over at manscaped.com. You get 20% off, or you're looking for premium CBD that's the tincture, the sports cream, or the gummies over at therapistpreferred.com. So use that code 5RSN, that's the number 5RSN for the best CBD at therapistpreferred.com. Helps you sleep, help you recover, and of course. Your grooming products over at manscaped.com. And no, it's not just the razors, but they also got the cologne and everything else along those lines. And I got to give you the tagline here your balls and your body will thank you. Now, back to Chris Herring, but first, get that code handy 5RSN, manscaped.com, and therapistpreferred.com. All right, we're back on five on the floor. Alex has been waiting to get in a question or two here. Go. I mean, yeah,
0: I decided to take a backseat for most of this pod because I was born in 96 and just was not (laughs) along for that era at all. But now that we're talking current day stuff, um, I wanted to ask you, so a lot has taken place ever since the season started. Obviously, the Heat have kind of catapulted themselves higher than I think a lot of people projected them to be, uh, you know, once the the season actually started. And they're now, you know, kind of going back and forth with the Bulls for the the one seat in the standings. Who knows where they're going to actually end up? But I wanted to get your perspective on if they've climbed into not only a different tier, and I know the tier talk is kind of cliche, but just to get to the way that you categorize these teams and and do they match up with some of the actual best contenders in the league? Are they on their level? Do you think that's like a thing where they can compete with any type of team after having watched them for a couple of months? Well, I'd like to see them just completely at full strength again. And I know that, that will, that's coming really, really soon for them. Uh, I mean, the way that they've competed without being full strength is, is I think, should be a little bit scary to everybody. Um, and I think, honestly, when you think about it, you think about Brooklyn, you think about the Bulls, you think about Milwaukee, I would say that they're probably as well positioned as anybody as far as balance is concerned. There have been games and you see every now and then obviously this is before the injury where you get bam, you know, particularly in last year's playoffs where just certain shots he doesn't want to take. And you want to see that maturation from him where he can take over. Uh, You know, you see Jimmy kind of take the backseat. Sometimes you would hope that Kyle Lowry and kind of his floor general, the nature of his job as a floor general can kind of smooth some of that out as well. Um, You feel a lot better about the fact that Duncan Robinson is knocking down shots. You you hope that Tyler hero having more experience and uh, obviously we've seen him do it in the playoffs before, even without much experience, but you feel pretty good about the season he's had, you know, kind of a fringe level all-star sort of season that he's had off the bench, six man type season. Um, But again, for me, it goes back to defense. I think that was why the Kyle Lowry pickup was so big is just because now you've got three of the best defenders in the league um, at their positions. You know, and, and I, I just think that um, Milwaukee has some of that with Middleton, Giannis, and Drew. Um, but I think to some extent, you, you, Miami, there's just something about Miami that I like, uh, that I, I want to see it from them a little bit more consistently, which they couldn't have done it with all the injuries they've had. But now that they're starting to coalesce and get back together now, um, of course they've got a shot. I mean, I think that they've got maybe more high-level balance than any other team in the East. Uh, Brooklyn doesn't have that level of balance on the defensive end all the time. And they, you know, they're kind of weird from game to game, the Kyrie situation, the bulls seem like they're a player away to me now. And they also are going to lose Lonzo now for a little bit. Um, I, I think Miami is extremely, extremely well positioned. I'm not sure how anybody matches up with the, the best teams in the West just yet. Um, not saying that they don't match up, but I, I, I don't know who's going to merge from the East, but I don't, you absolutely can't count Miami out. I think they're right there in that conversation. In the top four
2: we we appreciate all that heat love on this five on the floor podcast um <laughs> for sure chris uh and so there was an infamous riley story where he was playing three on three way 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 back maybe in schenectady actually and uh, he took an elbow to the face lost teeth threw his teeth off to the side of the court and kept playing have you ever heard that story before
0: no, 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 I haven't. Uh,
2: yeah. I think one of his high school teammates uh, re- recounted it and I found it online a while back. Um, I'm interested, what head coach around the league do you think would get elbowed in the face, lose a tooth, throw it to the side of the court and keep playing?
0: The only one I can think of is one we don't have anymore. Uh, God rest his soul. Jerry Sloan sounds like a guy that could have done that, but I uh, maybe probably did do that at some point, but off the top of my head, I mean, he has some, you've had some tough dudes, but, yeah, that that seems a little bit beyond to hear that. I mean, Monty Williams is a tough dude. I have that in the book. He was a guy that had a heart condition that they actually didn't really give clearance to to play. And he said, almost like a movie scene or something, where he's like, I don't give a damn. Like, I'm playing anyway. He didn't have clearance to play with a heart condition, and he decided he was going to play and just sign all the waivers and said, like, I know what I'm doing here. He was the reason that they even had the – You know, the idea of the the defibrillators uh, courtside, the ambulances courtside, that's why they have it like that now, because of him. But still, that's fundamentally different. Like, that's a risk, certainly, and it's a life-threatening risk. But uh, the idea of throwing the teeth to the side is still kind of a different level and more visceral. So, yeah, I'd not heard about that. Wow. Uh,
1: Chris, I'm going to let you close with this, uh, because I I think any any story of the Knicks-Heat rivalry, you mentioned it earlier, but it has to involve Patrick and Zoe. Uh, And and so much of that was fundamental to, to Riley too, because you had two best friends who he didn't want them going to dinner (laughs) during the playoff series. Do you you have one particular Ewing morning story that sticks out to you from the book?
0: Again, I think it's that the idea that they were trying to trade for him, Uh, you know, and they not, that's a pretty risque thing to do, particularly with like who you would have to trade to get them. So they offered Starks and Mason up in one deal, or I think it was like that. And they had Oakley and, Charles Smith and another deal. And it, it hurts some feelings. Uh, Patrick would have loved it, but you know, I don't think the other key guys on the team were very in love with the idea of being in trade rumors and, you know, the trade rumors being completely true that the Knicks were trying to do it. And Oh, by the way, they were trying to do it just to kind of thwart what Riley was doing.
2: I Um, never knew that. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah just in so retrospect that it it's, that's, that that's a nugget the right there of a,
1: of a whole bunch of things if that if that a actually... little bit just a, just a tad <laughs> just, <laughs> just just a tad all right i can't wait to get the book we appreciate it chris the book is called a blood in the garden you cannot read an expert serp in the new york times but better yet buy the damn book right that's what uh, that's what pat would tell you to do although maybe not in this case with some of the stories but <laughs> i i appreciate uh that you were able to get them anyway chris thanks for joining us appreciate
0: Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you.
2: Thank you for listening to the five on the floor on the five regional sports network.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you.